All right, this is chapter 29 of Mortal Engines called Going Home. The black airship had been drifting in silence, riding the wind to this high rendezvous while the defenders of the Batmunk Gompa were busy with fires and explosions. Now her engines burst into life, churning the drifting snowflakes and drowning out Tom's cry of horror. Valentine walked out along the barrel of a rocket launcher as nimbly as an athlete on a bar and sprang spread-eagling himself for an instant on the naked air before his hands found the rope ladder that Pusey and Gench had lowered for him. Catching it, he swung himself up into the gondola. Tom ran forward and was plunged into sudden darkness as the searchlight snapped off. Rockets from higher batteries came sparkling down to burst against the elevator's thick hide. One shattered some glass in the gondola, but the black airship was already powering away from the wall. The backwash from its propellers slammed into Tom's face as he knelt over Anna Fang, shaking her in the dim hope that she might wake. It's not fair, he sobbed. He waited until you were dazzled. You beat him. The aviatrix said nothing but stared past him with a look of stupid surprise, her eyes as dull as dry pebbles. Tom sat down beside her in the reddening snow and tried to think. He supposed he would have to leave the Batmunkampa now, get out fast before London came, but the very thought of moving on again made him weary. He was sick of being swept to and fro across the world by other people's plans. A thin, hot anger started rising in him as he thought about Valentine, flying home to a hero's welcome. Valentine was the cause of all of this. It was Valentine who had ruined his life and Hester's and put an end to so many more. It was Valentine who had given the Guild of Engineers Medusa. Hester had been right. He should have let her, he should have let her, kill, her kill him when she had the chance. There was a noise at the far end of the platform, and he looked up and saw a black mass of arms and legs and coat hurriedly untangling itself like a big spider fallen from the ceiling. It was Hester, who had taken the wrong turn as she raced after Valentine and come out in an observation bunker high above. Now here she was, having scrambled down thirty feet of snowy wall and dropped the final ten. Her eye rested for a moment on the fallen aviatrix. Then she turned and went to the battlements and stared out at the dark and the dancing snow. Should have been me, Tom heard her say. At least I would have made sure I took him with me. Tom watched her. He felt tight and sick and trembly from the grief and rage inside him and knew that this was how Hester must feel, how she always felt ever since Valentine killed her parents. It was a terrible feeling, and he could think only of one way to cure it. He groped under the collar of Anna's coat and found the key on its lanyard and wrenched it free. Then he stood up and went to where Hester was and put his arms around her. It was like hugging a statue. She was so stiff and tense, but he needed to hold on to something, so he hugged her anyway. Guns were still firing overhead in the vain hope of hitting the 13th floor elevator. He put his face close to Hester's ear and shouted over the noise, Let's go home! She looked around at that, puzzled and a little annoyed. You've gone funny. Don't you see? He shouted, laughing at the crazy idea that had just come creeping into his mind. Someone's got to make him pay. You were right. 
I should have stopped you. I shouldn't have stopped you before, but I'm glad I did, because the gut police would have killed you, and then we'd never have met. Now I can help you get to him, and help you get away afterward. We'll go back to London. Now, together. You have gone funny, said Hester, but she came with him anyway, helping him find a way back through the shield wall while soldiers came running past them, frightened, sustained, and far too late, crying out in woe when they saw the bodies on the rocket platform. The night sky over Banton Gumpo was full of smoke and tatters of singed envelope fabric. Fires were still burning in the high iries, but already the roads in the valley were clogged with constellations of small lights, the lanterns of refugees spilling away into the mountains like water bursting from a breached dam. With the death of the air fleet, the shield wall was finished and its people were fleeing as fast as their feet and mules and ox carts and freight balloons could take them. Down at the mooring platform, ships were already lifting into the smoky sky and turning south. The Karelian girl, Saitha, was trying to rally some panic-stricken soldiers, sobbing, Stay and hold the wall! The southern air fleet will reinforce us! They can be here in less than a week! But everyone knew that Batmunkampo would be gone by then, and London would be pushing south toward the League's heartlands. Stay and hold the wall, she begged, but the airships kept lifting past her, lifting past her. The Jenny Hanover still hung at anchor, silent, dark. The key that Tom had taken from Anna Fang's body fit, fit snugly into the lock on the forward hatch, and soon he was standing on the flight deck staring at the controls. There were far more of them than he remembered. Are you sure we could do this? asked Hester, Hester softly. Of course, said Tom. He tried a few switches. The hatch sprang open. The cabin lights came on. The coffee machine started making a noise like a polite dog clearing its throat. And a small inflatable dinghy dropped from the roof and knocked him over. Quite sure? she asked, helping him up. Tom nodded. I used to build model airships when I was little, so I understand the principle. And Miss Fang showed me the controls when we were in the mountains. I just wish she'd labeled everything in English. He thought for a moment, then hauled out on another lever, and this time the engines throbbed into life. Out on the mooring platform, people turned to stare, and some made the sign against evil. They had heard of Fang Hua's death and wondered if it were or if it was her restless ghost aboard the Jenny Hanover. But Saitha told Tom and Hester standing at the controls and came running toward them. But Saitha saw Tom and Hester standing at the controls and came running toward them. Frightened that she would stop him taking off, Tom hunted for the lever that moved the engine pods. Bearings grated as they swiveled into takeoff position. He laughed, delighted at the way the airship responded to the touch of his hand on the controls, hearing the familiar creak and huff of the gas valve somewhere overhead and the clang of the mooring clamps dis disengaging. People waved their arms and shouted, and Seta pointed or pulled out a gun, but at the last moment Captain Cora came stumbling out onto the platform 
supported by one of his crewmen, and gently took it from her. He looked up at Tom, raising a hand to wish him luck, and the surprising pinkness of his palm and fingertips was what stuck in Tom's mind as the airship swayed uncertainly up into the sky and climbed through the smoke from the high iries. He took one last look down at Batmoon Gampa, then swung her out over the shield wall and turned her nose toward the west. He was going home.